Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It would be remiss to start this week's podcast anywhere other than the events that took place in Christchurch on Friday. Needless to say, our thoughts and prayers are with the families and friends of the victims and survivors of that horrific act of violence. Um, Before we move on, Izzy, you'd like to talk about Muhammad Issam's extraordinary account of that day. Yeah, he was the the first person I saw and that's the first way I heard about the the whole um, affair was, was this Twitter stream from Mohammed Issam, who's ESPN Cricket Info's Bangladesh correspondent, and he gave um, well a, a running report of how things unfolded um, and how the Bangladesh team were involved. Uh, thankfully, they nobody was injured. Their their bus pulled up at the mosque. Um, from what we understand, moments after the the shooting had occurred, but it, it was a. It was a very raw, very honest account, and it was it was very telling or poignant. I thought that Tamim Iqbal, the Bangladesh captain, called him. He was the first person that he went to uh, for help, essentially, when the bus was at this mosque and the shooting was unfolding. Um, and Mohammed Issam, his and not just from him, we've heard accounts from other people. His first response was to run into danger, and I, it was a very you know, we, we cover cricket, we love covering cricket, it's a wonderful thing to do, we take it seriously sometimes, sometimes not so seriously, um, but it was, I think that relationship between journalists and athletes um, sometimes actually runs a lot deeper than we think, and I know we're, we're, it's a very, it's a quite light-hearted pod, and I'm almost sorry to bring the tone down, but it was, it was, I, I found it really quite um, a telling moment, and, and I think that it reinforced that bond between athletes and journalists at such a horrible moment. Yeah, it really moves up. If you've not read Mohammed Issam's account, definitely have a look for it online. Um, as meaningless as cricket may seem at the moment, that is why we're here. So let's get cracking. Welcome to episode 22 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Um, it's great to have with us for the first time the Christopher Martin Jenkins Young Cricket Journalist of the Year for 2018, Izzy Westbury. Welcome. Good to have you. I think my mother was just happy that I'm still young. Okay. Um, I like Great. that categorization. You you won the domestic cricket broadcast of the year the year before, didn't you? 
Uh, I did, and that I was not young, so yeah. I, sort of, I feel as I'm. Uh, what is it? Is it um, Billy Button or something that comes down in age? <laughs> Benjamin, Benjamin Button. Benjamin yeah. Button young again. Yeah. yeah, young again. I'll, I'll be him. To be honest, I'm not really sure. What I think about you winning a big time award one year, and then a young journalist award the year after. Yeah, it's a um, bit like the uh, the FA Young Player of the Year. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, once you won the young, uh, senior award, you shouldn't get a young I mean, one. You wouldn't give it to Raheem Sterling, you, you would you? You can call me Harry Kane if you want to, that's fine. Um, well, anyway, my other guest today is Wisdom's Ben Gardner, runner-up in that award <laughs> that Izzy won. Um, you were robbed, weren't you, Ben? Uh, no, no. Fully, fully, <laughs> fully deserved, but I'll get her next year. Um, right, cricket. Um, Izzy, you were on the TMS commentary team for the recent England-India series. Before we go into the actual cricket, what was that like being out there and covering the series? It was brilliant. It was all quite last minute. Um, but I think one of the, the best things uh, about being out there, it's quite a small team. There were just four of us covering the cricket. We were the only UK outlet, whether it be radio or papers, who were covering the women's tour, which was three ODIs in um, Mumbai and three T20s up in Guwahati around the corner of Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, um, it was just a very intimate uh, way of, of covering a tour. It's, I was, I'm reading uh, Derek Pringle's book about his... Um, recollection of cricket in the 80s and about how journalists had much more access and sort of this sort of camaraderie and, and this connection with players and it's almost a feeling that, that women's cricket is at that stage now where you know we're sitting in the same hotel we go for coffee with them we chat to them and you get much more of an insight into how they function both off-field and on-field and you can make your own assessments from that I think the difficulty is, is when they're less than flattering and you've got to speak up and say that. Yeah, so moving on to the, the cricket itself, uh, England lost the ODI Series 2-1, uh, won the T20 Series 3-0. Uh, guessing the first couple of games, runs on the board was a problem, but in the third game, an amazing game actually, Danny Wyatt's kind of like a coming of age innings, her first 50 in ODI cricket I believe. Absolutely, yeah. she's played more than 50 ODIs um, mm. and she'd actually, it's one of those flukes of, of chance that that sometimes define a career and it might well define her. She wasn't supposed to be playing, um, but Sophie Eccleston had broken a finger. She'd been, so Danny White had played the first match. She'd hold out to long on off a classic Danny White. I'm just going to smash it over <laughs> everyone's head. Didn't quite manage it for about two. Got dropped from that match because I think Heather Knight got as frustrated as Heather Knight gets and that she gritted her teeth and um, threw some dagger looks at her. And then White was dropped, came back um, and scored a very gritty 50. Um, she didn't quite see it to the end. You thought, oh, another one where she'd thrown it away. But she she did play a very good innings and it meant that England uh, got that kind of um, that reprieve, a few points on the ICC Women's Championship table. And it also fed into her T20 innings in the next few matches where she wasn't necessarily needed to score big runs quickly. She needed to stay in. Um, and she did. And I, th- I hope... Um, this is something that Danny Wyatt and England have been searching for perhaps for the last decade is to mm. find her role in both the T20 setup and the ODI setup and, and maybe they have. Yeah, I think she she does herself down a bit like she kind of thinks herself as this one dimensional player who can mm. only do one thing and she'll say sort of I'm best and I'm just told exactly what to do and I'm best and I'm told to hit bounds every ball but I think she can, She she she's a proper cricketer, she can play proper innings. Well you hit on something that we all found when we were covering the tour is that the England woman have achieved some amazing things in the last couple of years. I mean, winning the World Cup. I, I would almost argue that they weren't ready to win the World Cup and they did it as a bit of a surprise when they did. But they're very good at being told what to do and acting on what they're being told. What I'd like to see more of, and I think is evident when we're out there, was of their own autonomous decision-making. Mm. Um, it's it's a lovely environment. Everybody enjoys themselves out there. Everyone enjoys each other's company. They play the cars together. They, they live very near in, in Loughborough, but they're almost like, young girls and they need to turn into grown women and it's something that I think is is a tussle for women's sport 
women's sport that's turning professional is that you're almost so keen to become the model professional that you don't allow any sort of leeway for just being human, um, which the men in both the county setup and the, and the international setup, they've been professional since you know the beginning of time, as far as I'm concerned, really. Um, and okay, there's there's transgressions, and we've, we've seen all that in the media, but it also means that they kind of know when to switch on and switch off from that professional mode. And I just don't think that the women know yet when to to, to not be professionals and just be human. Um, but again, it's 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 tough because they're out and have to play cricket. Um, mm. But then they live in the hotel and eat the buffet, and you think you're in India. You go hard. It's an amazing place. Yeah. Um, so it's that fine line between sort of not being stuck in your hotel room the whole day, but also not going out and I don't know eating a dodgy samosa off a street door. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know. I was like following them on social media. They seem much more human than the men's team. I would say. Yeah, yeah, like, They seem to have a laugh much more. Um, yeah, they seem much more like normal people sanitized fun I'd almost say I mean you just you just don't they never put a foot out of line and that that's exhausting um, but maybe that's also why I'm not a professional cricketer <laughs> there's no there's no Ben Duckett pouring beer over someone's head <laughs> no. like, I mean in a way I almost you know I almost want to hear about some sort of wild night where someone's transgressed a little bit or drank too much I mean you, you're not supposed to say these things but I, I do think that sometimes they just get caught up in this this it's so tiring having to be that model professional that sometimes you just think come on just just let your hair down and I think I've showed in cricket is that they they, they got too timid in the first couple of one dayers mm. they just you know we talk about that cliche of playing with freedom I mean they looked like they were well they had to come from nets um, and they just, they just looked so constrained mm. and I think there's a number of factors of course it's not just that but I think it would help if someone just said oh for goodness sake go and have a good night out do you think that sorry do you think that comes from uh, the players themselves or does it come from the, the leadership the coaching a bit of both up? I mean uh, Mark Robinson is a really nice guy mm. um, but sometimes I just I feel that England have got He's been there, what, three years? And through making it a nice environment, people don't feel too insecure. They all feel like he's revived the careers of the likes of Wyatt, of Beaumont, and a number of other players, Jones, Amy Jones as well. But you almost think, right now, you've got to step up to the next level. Um, you've got to put behind the fact that you've won the World Cup and think about the ashes that are coming up, the World T20 next year. If you look at the likes of Australia, Elisa Healy, you know, she she's a horrible person at times. She calls herself a mongrel. Um <laughs> Bring the bitch back. Yeah, you? bring the bitch back. You know, you know you're never going to see that from, from England. I want Nat Siver to go and say that. Can you imagine? Yeah. Or, you know, smashing a window and she gets out. I mean, at the moment, I just think that does, that's not there, that kind of, that little bit of character. I think I think it is there. I just think we haven't seen it. Yeah, so on, on the cricket side with White, what is her best role, especially in one-day cricket? Should she be opening or should she be at number six yeah. where she can finish it off or play a sort of well, a I think the opening like question is a really interesting one. So at the moment, Amy Jones and Tammy Beaumont are up there. Amy Jones had a pretty ordinary tour of India but is reviving um, her, her her role um, at the top of the order against Sri Lanka. But then again, you know, Sri Lanka are in much weaker mm. position. I think England like the fact that they've got sort of a hitter, so to speak, or a 360-degree player in Beaumont and then a, a more straight kind of um, uh, orthodox orthodox player, sort of a Vince almost, um, <laughs> Vince role. But And why it's almost too like, much like Beaumont. I think why is it, she's almost like a Joss Butler character she's so good that yeah. you I mean she is so talented and she's starting to get her sort of cricket heads into focus that you you almost say you want to get her in as early as possible whether it be ODI or T20 having said that I know that the England setup they want her to be a finisher 
difficulty was she wasn't finishing or that she was she could do the sort of last few over slog but I think that she, her talent is such that she should be able to have the role of a finisher from say 25 overs onwards in a 50 over match mm. and you know I, I do think that with that innings in that third ODI might be the making of her in that in that finisher role. Ben what's your moment of the week? Uh, so mine is from the uh, the Ireland-Afghanistan test match the uh, first session they played against each other when Afghanistan won their first ever test, which was the, what, the, the second earliest team ever to do so in their second game. Which yeah, impressive. other than Australia in 1877, they're the quickest. Brilliant. But my, my Why moment... didn't you know that? <laughs> my, my moment is actually uh, Tim Mercer, the, the Lambeth Lara, uh, scoring a 50 from number 11 in the first innings. I think they were 86 for nine and more than doubled their score. Uh, he hit Ireland's first ever six in test cricket. Which is great, and then and then follow up with Wait, another. Kevin O'Brien didn't hit a six in his no, hundred. That, that's the thing. That the thing about the hundred, it was just so so proper normal, cricket, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, he's a he's a proper cricketer. Well, yeah. But uh, so yeah, he got he got that half century, and then they needed him again in the second, and he's got another half century. Oh no, another half century stand for the last wicket. So he was the first number eleven to score above twenty five twice in the same Test match, and it was the first time a team have added fifty for the last wicket twice. No. The second time they've done that in a test match. Oh, amazing. So it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Amazing. And, and, you know, it's just a reward for a guy's... Do, do you know him? Is he from your yeah, time in Middlesex? Yeah, absolutely. He's sort of... He's, he's that kind of jobbing county cricketer. Mm. You, we always would you'd think that would be his his, his lot, role. Yeah. His, his, that would be his lot. And he'd retire and everyone would remember him as a, a very good Middlesex cricketer. But it's... Um, he, in a way, it's perfect for him because he probably wasn't going, ever going to be good enough if he had been English, for example, to play for England. But to now have had Test cricket and plus these these fifty, like 50 <laughs> record behind it, I think um, he's yeah he's, he's a nice guy. We talk so much about nice guys in cricket and was tired of it, but he, yeah, he's um, just reward. Yeah, and uh, I mean it was a, just a brilliant game. I think really, um, Ireland probably did better than most people were expecting. I think when they slipped to whatever it was eighty-seven for nine. People thought that was like that was to be expected with Rashi Khan, and they mm. had struggles playing spin, and then really battled all the way through. And I think there was on that third evening, I really thought they were going to do it. So they'd set about 150 to win, and George Dockrell and Andy McBride opened the bowling and uh, leaked about five runs in ten overs and got Mohammad Jazad out. And it just it felt almost like that um, uh, Pakistan against England. 72 all out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were going to just crawl their way and, and not get close. And then they they eventually sort of cruised it, but it was a uh, Really hard point. I don't think Ireland's first win is going to be too far away. I think they've got Zimbabwe away next year and then Bangladesh at home. And I'd be surprised they don't win one of those two. England as well. I think one thing that really shouldn't be um, um, underestimated is how difficult the conditions were. I mean, they were playing yeah. in North India, I think somewhere quite... quite Derrida, 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 yeah. yeah, in cricketing terms, quite obscure in a way, mm. much more... Um, Afghanistan are much more accustomed to that kind of um, those kind of conditions. Um, so I, I think that not just you know, not just the, the spinning wickets, but also the travelling and the food, etc. I mean, you know, these are novice Test cricketers mm. to be put there is is quite a big ask. And yeah, I thought it was amazing. Um, ben, you're a bit of an uh, Afghanistan expert. Um, <laughs> there, there is more to Afghanistan than Rashid Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty more. I mean, uh, for, for starters, there's Majib, the other teenager. Spinning wonder kid, but there's also um, uh, Ramat Shah mm, was actually much so Rashid Khan was he wasn't rolled, but he got Afghanistan's first ever Test five wicket haul in the second innings with a, a blister on his finger as well, which is um, perhaps a metaphor for how they had to struggle to get to the top. I don't oh, know. Uh, but no, Ramat Shah with two, with two gritty half centuries, uh, he was a uh, sort of the like the, the linchpin. I think 
what will be interesting in the World Cup is is going to be the batting because they don't score 300 very often in ODIs and that's going to be like less than a pass score in England. So I do, I actually, in a way, fear for them a little bit and hopefully it'll be one of the things where even if they lose nine out of nine, the experience will bolden them. But I think that is possible even though they are a team mm. on the rise. It's not very popular to say, but I don't think that, although they're, they're a very good ODI team if in like an ODI league, I think they'll get some scouts. But I think in a in a World Cup in England is going to be like, as you say, in the conditions, it's almost as alien for them as a, uh, a spinning wicket in mm. Afghan, in, in India as far Disagree, to be honest. I think Sri Lanka yeah. are worse. Uh, Sri Lanka today <laughs> has reported that uh, Dimu Karuna Ratna might be their captain for the World Cup. A man who averages 15 in ODI cricket with a strike rate of 68. <laughs> Sri Lanka have won one of their last 15 ODIs, I'd, I'd put Afghanistan ahead of yeah, okay, maybe they'll battle for the wooden spoon, but I think I think they'll That's be... That's the game to watch in the World Cup, that. But as we know as well, form going into World Cup means absolutely nothing if you mm. look at the past precedents mm. and the ones that India, for example, have won. Um, mm. you know, in the games leading up to the ones that they have, they've been pretty awful and, and they've just stepped up to the task. That's why I'm already worried about Australia winning the yeah. yeah, we talked, talked about it last week. I, I do think they, they are quite good. No, we can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've, we've got to build them up now because then... Pressure. That, that's how we it works, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Pressure yeah. uh, Steve Smith's going to be player of the tournament, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a story that you might not have seen is that of Lauren Rouse, uh, a Worcestershire player who's been asked to withdraw from the squad, having allegedly not paid her debts to the club. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting story that you'll be able to read in full on wisdom.com, but without going into all the details, it shines light on the fact that for a lot of counties, women still have to pay to play county cricket. Um, Izzy, you're a former Middlesex captain, so you're better placed to talk about this than pretty much anyone. Um, so right now, do do all county players have to pay to play? It's difficult. It's difficult for me to say um, categorically because I've I've left. I've not been playing for two years, um, and no, I don't think they do. Um, I think when I was at Middlesex, when I joined Middlesex in 2013, we had to pay a sort of stipend. I think it was a hundred pounds every winter to cover the costs of. I don't know, the indoor school slash coaches. It was a kind of thing that I think they asked their youth setups to do. And that's kind of the issue is that in a lot of the county setups, the women's team are not part of the professional bit. So you normally have the county professional team and club. And then you've got the county board, which looks after the age group setups Mm. and the academy and the women. Um, That's the case with Worcestershire. So the Worcestershire team is under the Worcestershire Cricket Board, not the Worcestershire County Cricket Club. So it's almost that you, you, you refer to Worcestershire, mm. but then actually they're two different entities in themselves and, and actually there's not much talk in between. Mm. Um, but when I, when I was at Middlesex, it's something that we got rid of, um, that, that stipend that you had to pay, but you know there's still a lot of other things that will leave the cricket out of pocket. And I, I know that it's still the case in 2019 that um, Middlesex women, they have to pay individually for transport, to any match and and, I mean quite often so Yorkshire Lancashire in our league when I was there um, you were doing a 480 mile round trip Mm. and you had to find a way to sort that out between you Um, which and I I think again I think you've asked me before whether that has I've seen actual examples of people not playing as a result of the financial hurdles people aren't going to sort of are unlikely to sort of say I can't play because I can't afford it it's more people that won't be available for selection um, or won't be available for selection for the whole win- for the whole season um, and just get turned away from the game that mm. you, you don't really see in the figures mm. but I think is definitely a deterrent and something that let's be honest needs to be looked at at this day and age yeah 
hundred percent. Um, I mean, Middlesex, their, their kits are made by by Nike. I mean, I know, I know in, in some ways they're a... They've also just signed Amy de Villiers, but... Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. It's a... Details, details. Um, is, is it is it improving, do you think? I mean, I yeah, guess absolutely. It misses, I think misses the challenge with um, the level of uh, women's or the progress of women's cricket and women's sport is that it's, it's that balance between a softly, softly, look how far we've come, mm-hmm. it's going well, and a bang down the door because it's not going fast enough. Mm. Um, and you've just got to pick your moments and yeah. you've got to pick your causes. I think what's happened with Lauren Rats is extremely unfortunate. I think that there are probably other factors to the story as well. Worcestershire um, have just won, I think, division one of the Three. Division 3s. Yeah. Um, when you think that there's, I think, 54... Well, I don't know, there's a lot of counties playing so high-level county cricket. When actually you look at it, and the, and the first-class counties don't necessarily correspond to the best counties. Mm-hmm. Berkshire and Devon, for example, are in Division 2. All of England women play in Division 1, apart from a few in Division 2. So Division 3, you could argue, actually isn't sort of top-class county cricket mm-hmm. and therefore might equate to, say, a minor county in men's cricket. I don't know if they have to pay for things there as well. Um, it, it's a very convoluted structure. That system, from what I understand, is changing in 2020. Um, it's, it's a little bit sort of um, making everybody go along. Uh, but I do think that one way or another, it's it's making progress. But headlines like this, the ones that we see in Lauren Rouse, are not particularly great for the game. What, why are the teams run by the cricket boards and not the counties themselves? I think it's because women's cricket has only really um, progressed in such visible strides over the last decade, really. Um, even sort of 20 years ago, women's cricket was very, you know, it was below... Um, it was viewed upon as being below, I don't know, a second, third team men's mm. club standard and, and mm. trying to get pitches, for example. That was almost impossible. Um, that's why women's cricket is played on a Sunday because mm. you can't get a pitch on, on a Saturday. And even then it was almost an inconvenience for ground staff. I think, I think it's because women's cricket just hasn't been that big or in the public eye. Um, and that, and even just participation numbers. So it was, it was seen more as a development thing, which is the remit of the boards, mm. as opposed to in any, when they were started making women's teams for counties, I don't think anybody mm. foresaw the fact that they might possibly one day become professionals or even, you know, as I like to call myself, a 1% professional, because <laughs> that's pretty much how much I ever got paid. Um, and so I think, but now we're at that stage where actually these, they, they are, they should be being taken at least, if not in sort of reimbursement and remuneration wise, they should be being taken into the ambit of the setup of the, county cricket professional bit as opposed to the boards but that transition is going to be difficult the restructure will change things yeah. I think there will only be 10 county teams that play in the main yeah. competition which is right perfect because if you look okay. at if you look at the first class it's difficult calling it a first class structure but if you look at the, the top tiers of the um, Australian domestic stuff they play their state programme where they've got mm. six states um, same as the men's and, and actually that's probably at this stage of women's development you need to have a smaller elite tier uh, then you've got to start addressing the mm. things that come underneath that like club cricket's falling away mm. um, what about the people that are no longer going to be part of an elite level county setup? I know, I know it's, it's, there's no perfect solution but it's, that's still going to have to be something they handle delicately I guess in terms of which yeah. counties feed into where I mean because as you say with Devon who, who are they going to play for they're going to have to travel sort of three hours to play for their local First class, first class county. Yeah. It's a, it's just, it's just a, a really difficult one, I guess. I think whatever choice is made, somebody is going to yeah. be um, have their feathers ruffled, or it's just not going to be particularly great for them. Mm. Um, but I think that you've got to almost take a utilitarian approach yeah. for the greater good. <laughs> I feel like there will be no excuse for stories like this one after yeah. they make the change. With yeah. ten teams, they should be able to, you know, 
pay them. Let, let well, them it's an irony, really, if it happened to Worcester Chicks. I think it was a few years ago that they came out and said that they're going to be paying their players um, to try and almost sort of um, kickstart some sort of professionalisation, but I don't think that's quite worked out. Um, no, it's not a great story, mm. but in a, sometimes, actually, you need people to see those stories. I remember talking during the 2015 Ashes and saying that I, I was playing for Middlesex, captain Middlesex at the time, but I didn't actually get to train during the season because the facilities, you know, after after work, they were being hired out to corporate people or whatever. So we couldn't have access to, I think it was Finchley, which is an hour and a half from where I live and work, um, until nine o'clock at night. <laughs> and it's a, it was, a, yeah, it was... Um, I think people didn't realise that. And that's mm. so often the case with women's sport, is that not that people don't want to do anything about it, they just have no idea. Yeah, I think that's what the, how the Lauren Roll story got as much attention as it did on yeah. social media, is yeah. that I think people didn't actually know the women had to pay to play. Yeah. Um, Middlesex women now have a, a dedicated home as well, I think. And uh, uh, I mean, they, they've said it's useful just because you know which, you don't have to put the dress in the sat and that sort of thing. But it's, uh, yeah, as I said, look out for that story on wisdom.com. Uh, elsewhere, Test cricket is changing. Uh, th- there might be a countdown clock in Test cricket to improve over rates. Uh, wh- what do we think about that? Uh, I, to be honest, I have never been convinced that over rates are a big issue or even that much of an issue. But the I, paying public are robbed of five overs. Yeah, I, but I, I don't know how much the paying public mind or how much like journalists who want to get home to their families and see it more <laughs> as a job mind. I mean, I've like some of the most exciting days of cricket that uh, I've, I've not paid any attention to how quickly the overs being bowled and ha- looking back, some of them, so they've been 88 overs, rated six overs bowled in the day. Um, and that's, I, I don't want to see... Marlon Samuel or something like yeah. that, like running through four overs of, of spin rather than like uh, Shannon Gabriel charging in, taking a bit longer to do it. Mm. Um, I also think that with any proposed solution to overrates, they always put the onus entirely on the bowling team, which just isn't the case. Like batsmen will ask for loads of change of gloves and drinks and, you know, have to change it, like, all, all that sort of thing, which which also impacts it. Um, yeah, so, but but I, I think that <laughs> I'm probably coming from quite a negative point of view. Um I think it's an unnecessary gimmick, to be honest. Uh, it'd, be, it'd look ridiculous if, uh, for Lords in the in the Ashes, you had a countdown clock to the next over that Jimmy Anderson had to sprint round to. It tracks from the actual cricket. Um, is he any opinions? I, I think, um, I think there's danger that it will actually break up the game even more. Yeah, you spend yeah. too much time sort of worrying about who's been, who's who's gone over it and who's not, yeah. and then um, it will stop. I tend to agree with you, Ben, as well about does the paying public actually notice? But I think it's, it's almost one of those things that once it is brought to attention, then you do yeah, notice yeah. it. And, and if, you, if you don't tackle it, then it could just get to the point where it's actually ridiculous. Yeah. I, I just think that penalty runs. Why did, I mean, I know part of penalty runs can... is part of the countdown clock, but shouldn't that not be you know, the end of the day um, a decision made by the umpires? And then if it's made by the umpires, then they can also have the discretion to decide whether the batting team yeah. is also fooling around mm. like a bit like in football when you're time wasting right mm. they can bring out yellow cards they can yeah. penalize at their discretion um in a way you could argue that umpires these days aren't aren't humans anymore because they're taking their decisions away maybe they need to have this this injected back yeah. into their decision making i do think um obviously something or well, i think the icc have decided that something needs to be done um whether this, well, is, this is, right is an mcc, MCC, MCC yeah. even. whether this is the right way oh i think we all disagree yeah <laughs> uh 
more more change in Test cricket has been reported today, I think, by Ali Martin and the Guardian that squad numbers and squad names might be coming to Test cricket, starting in the Ashes. Um, what do we think about that? Yeah, th- this I love. Uh, <laughs> uh, Shock horror. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. If it's it amazing be, idea, isn't it? Yeah, squad numbers. I saw, I saw someone suggesting it should be Test caps. Uh, like it's too it, long. You can't have. You can have three numbers. Gale has a three 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 on his back in the IPL. But in, or Murray but, had eight hundred. Yeah, but in like fifty year time, you couldn't have like one thousand three hundred twenty three. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. we've got to think about the long yeah. long time here. I mean, Test cricket around them, will it? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. No, if I think if I was a teenager, I'd be much more likely to buy a Test shirt as well. If I could get yeah. Route sixty six in the back or that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I'm all for it. Uh, I mean, they do, they wear it in county cricket as well, so yeah. it's not as if it's going to be a huge aesthetic difference. Um, yeah, I. I I've, there's been a bit of a an angry reaction but again i guess like it's so and i guess the fact that there is an angry reaction means that you should maybe approach it with some caution because that is the fan base whether or not there's a a logical reason behind it or not that was the irony almost there was more of an angry reaction to this which actually has no difference to the play mm-hmm. than to the countdown clock yeah. which actually might have quite profound changes um being made and also the people that are reacting and also the people that probably aren't going to be able to tell who's on the pitch unless yeah. they have that name and number there um and especially from a professional journalist point of view yeah it's really useful i think you are lying if you claim that you think it's easy to see which player is which as it is. I think even with squad numbers and squad names, it's not going to be that easy from the standards to see which player's which. And especially as someone you know that spends a lot of time in part of my professional life covering cricket, if I was doing a four-day county game um, and we were quite far away so we couldn't see, say, the numbers or the names that well, by the end of day four, from a player's gait and kind of their build, I could recognise them. That's the end of the match. <laughs> you, know, you want to be able to know what's going on from day one. And, and no think... games go to day four anymore as well. <laughs> exactly. So I think this is it's, it's a no-brainer. And the more I think about it, cricket has probably the biggest playing area when almost any team sport. <laughs> yeah. To have that as the one sport where you can't have a way to identify the players apart from looking at all their faces. Yeah. But if like we weren't getting angry about something... their boots. If we weren't getting angry about something, then yeah. we'd be off-season yeah, or pre-season exactly. cricket exactly. with it. Um, the PSL final happened. A really interesting story in the final. A guy called Mohammed Hussain... Um, took a three for in the final. He's only 18 and he is now in the Australia squad, for their se- Pakistan squad rather, for their series against Australia. Uh, ben, Shane Watson likes him. Yeah, yeah. Sh- Shane Watson said he's the he's the quickest... Uh, he's still playing. Yeah. <laughs> Slayer of the series. Yeah, I know. He said he's the quickest 18-year-old he's ever faced and he's been he's been hit on the pad by a lot of young fast bowlers in his time. <laughs> so uh, so that, 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 that means something. And um, I mean, yeah, I'd, I mean, who knows if he's going to get into World Cup squad, but it's, I love a World Cup bolter. Yeah, um, and wouldn't it be amazing if he bowled Pakistan to victory in, a, yeah. in the World Cup it's final? It's also an, an interesting trend as well. We're seeing a lot more fast bowlers, especially um, coming up through or being exposed um, and coming onto the big stage through these big um, T20 tournaments. Think of Jofra Archer; he's made mm-hmm. his name mm-hmm. in T20 cricket. You think of Jasper Bumrah; he came mm-hmm. through um, the IPL as well. So it definitely is a sort of oh, like a recently tried and tested method. Um, but also, also the off-field stuff from this PSL final is also something to note because it was packed houses. It had been moved um, from Lahore to Karachi because of a few political issues um, around there. And, and I think that um, at a time when you know, you've got the Christchurch bombing, it's 10 years since that Sri Lanka attack, there's still um, a lot of uncertainty around the safety and security of cricketers in certain parts of the world, not in certain parts of the world, anywhere in the world. Um, And I think the ICC's chief exec was out there. A number of international players were out there and competing. I think Max Wallace from Somerset was also playing. Um, 
in in packed houses in a country that has been deprived of major international cricket for ten years now, and I think that's that's a really gratifying story to see the, the, the that love is still there. Yeah, and they've they've said that their aim is for next year to have all the PSL games played in in Pakistan, which would be a, a brilliant yeah. achievement. Mm, it's yeah. the, the the new PCB chief, isn't it? Is that right? Wasim Khan. Uh, Wasim yeah. Khan. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, Another big T20 tournament, the biggest one in the world. IPL starts on Saturday. Uh, some exciting news from a wisdom point of view. Uh, we've teamed up with Kingfisher Beer to offer a once-in-a-lifetime experience to watch an IPL game in India. The winner will be the recipient of two return flights to India, two hospitality tickets for an RCB game and three nights in a five-star hotel plus spending money. Um, it'd be great if you could actually watch the IPL, Ben, because it's going to be quite complicated to watch it. Yeah, th- this is almost going to be the only way because uh, it looks at the moment... <laughs> yeah, the only way <laughs> to win the competition. Because yeah. uh, it looks at the moment like Sky Sports aren't going to be showing it. Last year, they made quite a big deal of uh, of having signed a multi-year multi-year deal to broadcast it in the UK and at the moment they are going to be showing a Tammy Beaumont and Rashid Khan masterclass when the first game is going on with a radio silence from from their part well they they say that negotiations are still ongoing but at the same time Hotstar UK say that they have secured exclusive digital streaming rights which in theory leaves a window open for Sky to show it just on TV but Considering they have Sky Go and everything that goes on their TV goes on Sky Go, it's hard to see how that can how that can happen, and it's 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 a shame, really, because I mean, as much as Sky is behind a paywall, it's also you know the the the, the place where most cricket fans who have a pay to watch access will will be watching it, uh, and it's I mean it's it's not inconceivable that quite a lot of people have bought Sky mm. to watch the IPL, and it's it's just one of a few things now that they have lost in in recent years, and it's just making it worse for the consumer, like they. Obviously, lost the Australia uh, series to BTL a, w- a while ago. Didn't show the Australia series against India in India recently. Uh, sort of kicked up a fuss about paying for the last two T20s in the West Indies that England were going to pay, and they were then shown on YouTube. So, yeah, it's just it's just, it's just a, an, an odd situation, and it's uh, strange them to now have an exclusive cricket channel and be showing less cricket than ever before, basically. Well, they've got to be careful as well because there's almost a right of recourse if you if you claim you can if you legitimately claim that you did buy a Sky. TV, um, whatever it is that you need to buy, um, in, because you thought you were going to have act, be able to watch the IPL over multi. They did actually say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they said that and they didn't have that, that that's an issue for them. If you Google IPL UK TV rights, the first thing that comes up on Google is the Sky Sports article saying they've signed a multi-year deal in 2018. So that makes you wonder. You, you can you can direct all legal questions to qualified no, <laughs> I was just bringing a hypothetical up. <laughs> um, the IPL is is a cricket competition, yes. um, and from an English perspective, the Rajasthan Royals are quite exciting because they've got Josh Butler, Ben Stokes, and Jofra Archer. What a team that is! Yeah, uh, now now qualified as of two days ago, Jofra yeah. Archer as yeah. well. March the seventeenth was happy Jofra Archer Day yeah, to all England fans. Day. Yeah, He's a, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're the team I'll, I'll be supporting as I, on my Hotstar subscription. Same. Um, Actually, one thing I need to ask you both, because I'm, I'm still pretty certain that the wrong Curran was signed. As in, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work it out, because it was Tom Curran's photograph that came yeah. up in that <laughs> And I know that Sam Curran did very well against India, but I'm still... In a test series. In a test series. I'm, in a, yeah, exactly. In a test, <laughs> I still think that the wrong current was signed and it's been glossed over and I don't think big enough deal has been made about this well I, I guess obviously 
he doesn't have a, a huge T20 pedigree to him. He's young. He's uh, in a way his skill set almost isn't suited to it. Being a sort of a, a left arm sort of 78 mile an hour swinger isn't the kind of thing that normally does does well out there. But then I think people said actually similar things. I know it's a slightly different stage of the career, but when Ben Stokes was signed, people kind of thought that he's not done loads in T20 cricket. Sure, and I think that he could he could do very well, but I still think whoever <laughs> pressed that button pressed the wrong one. The wrong is they wanted Tom, they got Sam, and it might actually end up beautifully. But I'd love someone to come out and say, "Yeah, sorry, lads." <laughs> so I, I, my prediction, or not really a prediction, this is what I hope happens. I I really want Sam to open the batting. I think the way he bats probably lends itself better to opening in the power play, batting the first six overs with the fielders in, than towards the end of the. Evening. I know he's got like he's got the ramp shot. So does everyone these days who comes through the Surrey Academy. Um, but I think that's best ever six hitter, isn't he? Not yet. In tests. He's, well, I think he's already in the top 10 six hitters in English test history. So, or top 15. Um, so I'd love to see Karen open batting. And he's also a very good bowler as well. Um, but we, we, we can't comment on if it was a mistake that he was signed. But uh, I think we can. We'll, we'll ask say the Curran's. It wasn't a mistake. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Tom Curran has, in, in seriousness, been sort of robbed of a of an IPL deal yeah. he uh he's came on really well with the bat in in the big bash as well as showing what you can do in the deathlies with the ball and he's a, a very canny t20 cricketer and I sort of fancy him to even if he doesn't play in the world cup he could play a really big part in England's t20 world cup campaign next year possibly I um, quite like to have seen this distilled conversation over dinner table when yeah <laughs> and then Ben Curran just uh... yeah hi guys um is there a rule where you can only sign one player from a family? Tom, Sam, Ben. Player? I mean, these, these are sort of three letter boys, net, quite, yeah. quite common it's boys. Very just, confusing. Yeah. 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 Um, have you guys seen the uh, MS Dhoni video? Him oh going out for a bat? Yeah. Wow. I think the best dude I saw that was, was it more popular than the Beatles? Because um, <laughs> he absolutely is. It was a practice session, wasn't it? it was yeah. Yeah. If, if you've not seen it, it's a video of Dhoni walking out to bat for a net session at the Chennai Super Kings ground at a packed house and the, the camera is following Dhoni as he walks out to bat and the noise from the crowd is extraordinary. Yeah. Cricket really is immensely popular in India, isn't it? Yeah, it was really... It's also interesting, uh, I think Joss Butler spoke to the press a couple of days ago um, just before he goes out to Rajasthan Royals and, and he was talking about having to sort of embrace the, the chaos mm. of India um, or at least cricket in India. Um, and he was asked whether he would would want to have that level of fame that would almost prevent you going to the shops, going mm. outside. And he was, I mean, as most normal people, I think, would say no. He can go to his Tesco's and he can shop around. I mean, which is actually a concern as an English cricket fan that Josh Butler can go to Tesco's. And... Yeah, okay, maybe <laughs> but... it's too far the other way. <laughs> yeah. But equally, you just having having been out there and being able to move, you know, obviously move around, etc. Mm. Having to imagine what it must be like living a life where you're mm. holed up your whole time and then to go out and perform it does make it almost even more even more remarkable that the pressure that they've got on their shoulders it's it's something else um yeah so yeah drink some kingfisher beer and you too can see what it's like out there because honestly i don't think as, as cricket fans you've ever really experienced cricket until you've seen it live in india um preferably the ipl because it's just nuts and how, how was the support for, for the for the women's stuff when you're out there um to be honest, on the ground, not not great, um, but it's it's a sort of a trade off at the moment. I think with the the, the stage of development of the women's game is that it was uh, televised on on Star mm. Sports. Um, every single match was televised, um, and they had, from what I understand, quite big viewer viewer uh, ratings, etc. But it was they all played at nine o'clock on weekdays. 
um, and not particularly much publicity around uh, the actual grounds. More so in Guwahati, where it's a little bit more isolated, a smaller, smaller sort of cricketing culture. So it was um, a big event in the, yeah. the city. A lot of newspaper coverage. Whereas Mumbai, of course, there's, there's so much going on there. It's 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 a funny stage. It's getting there. Um, just I think just by looking at the social media numbers that the IPL franchise teams get, mm. it's comparable to Manchester United yeah, football. Yeah. It is huge, huge tournament. Uh, one of the especially teams, one for two months. Yeah, yeah. Um, what one of the teams, Sunrisers Hyderabad, tweeted uh, a welcome photo and message for Johnny Bairstow making his IPL debut. Yeah, making his IPL debut. But they also said, uh, "Welcome, Johnny. This first time in India. Johnny Bairstow that. has toured India three times with England." And it's probably gone to India other times as well. That was quite funny. Um, I also like the fact we don't that he's know. playing for Sunrise Hyderabad so that he has this kind of nice orange and orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe that's tactical. And he gets quite red in the face sometimes as yeah. well. So yeah. No, no colour clashes there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving tact a little bit. Um, Wisden are going to be the media partners for the Street Child World Cup that will take place in May this year. It's really exciting stuff. The finals will be will take place at Lords. I think all teams will be playing there. Um, and Izzy, you're part of the team that will be broadcasting it as well. I am so excited about this. I mean, there's, we're spoiled for riches this summer when it comes mm. to cricket with the World Cup, the Ashes, men's, women's, etc, etc. But the Street Travel Cricket World Cup is being played for the first time the cricket tournament um, is being played before the World Cup. They've done it with football, they've done it with the Real Olympic Games. Um, and I actually, when I was at Mumbai, got to go and meet and talk to two girls um, Sharma and Bhavani are aged 13 and 15 they're part of the Magic Bus India Foundation which is a uh, charity that works with um, street children in just on the outskirts of Mumbai in a big slum out there and they'll be representing Team India South and I, they were such amazing human beings to talk to not just because they were obviously very excited about what, what they were going but also about what they thought that, that participating in a tournament like this could do for women playing mm-hmm. sport the fact that they're playing in mixed teams with boys and girls um, that there'll be some publicity, that they can change some attitudes that have restricted girls playing sport and cricket in their hometowns. Um, and and I I really hope it's a success. I'm sure it will be. Um, I can't wait. I think they're an extraordinary organisation, Street Child United. They put on the 2018 Street Child Football World Cup in Russia, which you can imagine has uh, logistical issues when you're trying so to get... Diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, tra- you're trying to get uh, loads of children who've never left their country, don't have uh, passports to 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 Russia and they play that uh, right slap bang in the centre of Moscow. Um, just as tough getting them to the England after Brexit. I think. Yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> politics, politics. It might not happen by then. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Should we finish with Leeward Islands? Yeah, as as we always do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so is there a trip to there as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might have missed this one. Uh, so Leeward Islands uh, in the regional four day tournament in the Caribbean were bowl out for ninety and conceded a first innings lead of 101. In their second innings, they declared on 83 for two, which if you're good at maths, you'll work out that's that's enough to have, that, to have made them lost by an innings. Um, so they didn't bat twice. Why did they do this? They thought that um, if they declared and lost by an innings at that point, their, their opponents, Barbados, wouldn't have secured enough bonus points to overtake them. Great in theory, slightly unsporting perhaps. Um, but they actually miscalculated and Barbados took home 17.4 points that took them to their season tally of 134.2. <laughs> what is this scoring system? Um, which took them 0.2 points ahead of Leeward Islands at the end of the, se- uh, end of the season, um, which is just tragic. 
that's karma, isn't it? I was going to say, isn't yeah. that just basic karma? <laughs> it's sort of rather wonderful, really. Because you, you, you get you get it in club cricket, don't you? Like sort yeah. of hand wringing when a when a, a team in Wales declares on twenty for one so they can yeah. win the the club championship. But at least in those instances, they they do they do win it. <laughs> I mean, did, did no one just think to to double check it? <laughs> just sort of like, hang on, <laughs> that's it. I think this is one of the wonderful quirks of cricket. Yeah. Um, I love it even more for it. But I've never understood if you're in that environment, you're in the Leeward Island team, and someone say, God, should we actually try and win? Well, maybe before the game, when you've been bowled out for, for 19, you can see a lead of 101. But what was even better is that it wasn't even as though they were going to get anything out of it apart from come second in the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, it wasn't even like, table. we're going to win. It's like, yes, guys. In fairness, it could be a considerable prize money difference between second and third. Yeah. You never know. Um, but Izzy, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Enjoyed having you on. Ben, thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for listening, folks. If you enjoyed it, Please subscribe, tell your friends and shout about it on the internet. See you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.